0: Well, good morning. I'm Camper Mundy, Associate Pastor here, and I too would like to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting. Uh, We're always glad to have guests with us and are delighted that you chose to be with us this morning. And we are nearing the end of our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. And as was mentioned earlier, though this is Palm Sunday, uh, today in our sermon series we actually reach the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 15. And then later in the week, uh, Maundy Thursday, uh, the Last Supper is what we will remember and celebrate going back into chapter 14 for our Maundy Thursday service here. And then followed, of course, next Sunday with Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Mark chapter 16. But first, this morning... We enter into the darkest moment in all of human history, the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Last week, we saw the king abandoned by his people, and this week, we'll see the king abandoned by his father, the son of God, forsaken by God the Father. Do you know the pain of being forsaken? Have you ever been rejected, betrayed, abandoned? Have you ever felt isolated and alone? Have you ever known suffering, suffering so deep that you felt like you were suffocating? And in all of that, have you ever asked the question, where, God? Where is God in all of this? Well, our passage today speaks into that question. We come to the most excruciating place of pain in the entire Bible, which is heard in the haunting cry from the cross, often referred to as the cry of dereliction, found here in Mark as the last words that Jesus speaks before his death. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? This morning on our journey through Mark's gospel, we come to the foot of the cross. We witness Jesus' death, his crucifixion and death. Again, Mark chapter 15. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page 852. I'll be reading verses 1 through 5 and 14 through 39. Uh, But let's go to our Lord in prayer before we hear his word. Almighty God, we we come to you needing to hear your word. Needing you to open your word to us and us to your word. That you would bring us into this dark story. And that in doing so, you would speak the truth of the gospel deep into our hearts. That we might see and that we might believe. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of God. From Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Verse 14. But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! Crucify him! So, Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Verse 22. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Ah, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And this is the Word of God. Well, today as we enter into this dark story, we're going to consider our passage in two parts. First, forsaken at the cross, and then freedom at the cross. Forsaken at the cross. Roman crucifixion was designed to be the most humiliating, excruciating, gruesome method of execution. The Romans reserved it for their worst offenders. A crucifixion was a bloody and public spectacle, one of extreme pain, often lasting for days, and ending in horrible death by either hypovolemic shock or exhaustion asphyxia. Now Mark does not give the gory details, and neither will I. You can find a medical report uh, detailing Roman crucifixion uh, in the Journal of the American Medical Association. In fact, I commend it to you. Uh, 1986, uh, March 21st, 1986. You can search by the article's title on the physical death of Jesus Christ. Again, I commend it to you, but I must warn you that it is a detailed and difficult read. Again, Mark does not give the gory details of the crucifixion. Rather, in the words of one commentator... Mark aims his spotlight away from the physical horrors of Jesus' ordeal in order to focus it on the deeper meaning behind the events. You see, Mark makes no explicit reference to the fulfillment of prophecy, but his choice of wording here shows that he has Psalm 22 in mind, the very Psalm that Jesus quotes in his cry from the cross. Hear these words from Psalm 22. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among themselves. And cast lots for my clothing. Do you hear the echo of prophecy being fulfilled? Now also note uh, that Jesus' death happened in the dark. In fact, all four gospel writers go to great lengths to show that the central events of Jesus' death took place in the dark. A couple of weeks ago, the betrayal in the garden took place in. At night The trial before the Jewish council took place at night. But now the actual moment of Jesus' death takes place at midday, and it is dark. Verse 33. "And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. The 6th hour being 12 noon. The ninth hour, 3 p.m. So between 12 and 3 in the afternoon, there was total darkness across the whole land. When Jesus died in the middle of the afternoon, it was as dark as night. Now, some have have tried to write this off, write this divine act off as uh, attributing it to natural causes. It could not have been an eclipse, which some claim. An eclipse would have only lasted a few minutes anyway, But Passover takes place at a full moon. It could not have been a windstorm kicking up enough dust to block out the sun because Passover takes place during the wet season. This darkness at midday was a divine act. Now, Mark does not explain the significance of the darkness. But for sure, he assumes that his readers would make the connection between this darkness and this celebration of Passover. Think back with me for a moment to Exodus, the Exodus from Egypt, the plague of darkness, God's last word to Pharaoh prior to the angel of death striking Egypt, the plague of the firstborn. And only those covered by the shed blood of the Passover lamb were delivered from God's wrath. Well, now the Exodus is finding fulfillment, its ultimate fulfillment at the cross, Because here we find a plague of darkness prior to the sacrifice of Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb. But now it was God's own firstborn who would die. And thus the cry of dereliction. The first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is experiencing the crushing weight of being the sin bearer in the presence of the sinless God. Jesus came before God as the high priest, but without a substitutionary sacrifice. For Jesus himself came as both priest and sacrifice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here Jesus is drinking the cup of God's wrath, explained a couple of weeks ago when we were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there we saw the agony of Jesus anticipating that cup. But now we hear the agony as Jesus drinks the cup. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The seriousness and ugliness of sin is being dealt with. The excruciating anticipation of Gethsemane is now the excruciating reality of Golgotha. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From Gethsemane to Golgotha. Sally Lloyd-Jones says it well. He knew it was time for him to die. They had planned it long ago, he and his father. Jesus was going to take the punishment for all the wrong things anybody had ever done or ever would do. Papa, father, Jesus cried and he fell to the ground. Is there any other way to get your children back, to heal their hearts, to get rid of the poison? But Jesus knew there was no other way. All the poison of sin was going to have to go into his own heart. God was going to pour into Jesus' heart all the sadness and brokenness in people's hearts. He was going to pour into Jesus' body all the sickness in people's bodies. God was going to have to blame his son for everything that had gone wrong. It would crush Jesus. But there was something else, something even more horrible. When people ran away from God, they lost God. It was what happened when they ran away. Not being close to God was like a punishment. Jesus was going to take that punishment. Jesus knew what that meant. He was going to lose his father. And that, Jesus knew, would break his heart in two. In just a little while, we'll conclude our worship service this morning. And if one of you were to come up to me after the service and say, Camper, I never want to see you or hear from you again. That would hurt. It would hurt a lot. But now imagine for a moment, if my wife Heather were to come up to me and say, Camper, I never want to see you again. It would hurt so Much more. So much deeper. You see, the longer and deeper the love, the greater the pain of its loss. And at the cross, Jesus' heart is being torn apart. In the words of Tim Keller, this forsakenness, this loss, was between the Father and the Son who had loved each other from all eternity. This love was infinitely long, absolutely perfect, and Jesus was losing it. Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experiencing our judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question. Why? The answer is, for you, for me, for us. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus. Jesus forsaken at the cross. And that leads to freedom at the cross. Freedom at the Cross, verses 37 through 39. Let me reread those for us. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus Crucified as a common criminal. And here, this hardened, bloodied Roman soldier who'd participated in scores of executions, here he proclaims the central truth about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Truly, this man is the Son of God. And whereas sin had separated us from the presence of God, the death of Jesus, God's own Son, the Son of God, tore down that wall of separation. And to make that perfectly clear, Mark records these words. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Mark is referring to the curtain that separates The curtain that separates the holy, sinless God from unholy, sinful people. The curtain that separates the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies. The curtain that separates people from the presence of God. The curtain of the temple, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and 12 inches thick. A wall of separation communicating loud and clear, it is impossible for sinful people to come into the presence of God. The Holy of Holies. The heart of the temple. The place of of God's presence and glory. And only one man, the high priest, could enter there. And then only once a year, on Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement, And even then, he could only enter after an elaborate purification process, and he had to bring a blood sacrifice, an atonement for the people's sins. And the high priest even then entered the Holy of Holies at great risk to his own life, fearing that if he did not do things correctly, the holiness of that place would consume him. There is historical evidence to suggest that a rope was tied to the high priest so that if he died he could be dragged out by the other priests so that they would not have to enter the other side of that wall of separation. The moment Jesus died, this massive curtain was torn open. It was ripped from top to bottom, making it clear who did it. This was God's way of saying this sacrifice, this sacrifice on the cross For sin is the full and final sacrifice to end all sacrifices. The way is open. You are free to come in. You are free to approach me. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell on Him instead. And because of Jesus' sacrificial death, Anyone who believes in Him can know God and can enjoy His presence. Through faith in Jesus, the barrier is gone. No more alienation from God. No more bondage to sin. No more separation. Through faith in Jesus, there is true freedom. Freedom to enter into the presence of God. Freedom to be forgiven of sin and freedom to live in the joy of every spiritual blessing and with the hope of eternal life forever. As the Apostle Paul declares, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One more thing. Sin forgiven means that suffering does not have the last word. Do you hear that? Suffering does not have the last word. Through the gospel, through the cross of Christ, we see that our God actually suffered. That he actually cried out in suffering. Now I want you to think for a moment about those disciples. They've been following Jesus for three years. They are gathered at the foot of the cross. To them, Jesus' suffering seemed senseless. That there was nothing good about it. But eventually they realized that Jesus' suffering was of cosmic importance. They eventually realized that they had witnessed the greatest expression of God's love, power, and justice in all of human history. God had come into the world and suffered and died on a cross to save us, to rescue us, to bring us to himself. And they had witnessed the ultimate proof of God's love for us. In the words of another pastor, when you suffer, when you suffer, you may be completely in the dark about the reason for your own suffering. It may seem as senseless to you as Jesus' suffering seemed to his disciples. But the cross tells you what the reason is not. It can't be that God doesn't love you. It can't be that God has no plan for you. It can't be that he has abandoned you. Jesus was abandoned and paid for our sins so that God the Father would never abandon you. The cross proves that he loves you and understands what it means to suffer. And it demonstrates that God can be working in your life even when it seems like there is no rhyme or reason for what is happening. And in your suffering, in your places of pain and doubt and uncertainty and fear, you are not alone. You are never alone. A couple of years ago, our summer missions team for the First time, went down to western North Carolina to serve the Cherokee Nation there. And while there, the the Cherokee people told them of the Cherokee youth's rite of passage. Each male youth is taken into the forest by his father. His father blindfolds him, sits him on a stump, and leaves him alone. The boy is required to sit on the stump all night without removing the blindfold until the first rays of the morning sun. He cannot cry out for help. And should he survive, he cannot tell anyone of his experience. Now naturally, the boy is is terrified. He can hear all kinds of noises around him. Uh, Wild animals in the forest. Maybe even another person might come up to hurt him. Strong winds blowing through the trees. But the boy sits still, full of fear and unable to see. Finally, after the horrific night the son appears and the boy removes his blindfold. And it is then that he discovers his father sitting on the stump next to him where he has been all night keeping watch over his son and protecting him. For Jesus, the father wasn't there. So that for us, he would always be there. We often sit on a stump, blinded by our own sin and brokenness, fearful, hurting, unable to see. But you are not alone. You are never alone. Look to the cross and hear and see God's love and God's presence. The Good Shepherd shepherd laid down his life for us, his sheep. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, Jesus, our good shepherd, you are with me. As we look to the cross of Christ, let us hear the promise of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please pray with me.